Bibles to Acts 8, if you haven't done that yet, or you go to your device, Acts 8, with this great, this great book that talks about the movement of the Holy Spirit in the first century to get us where we are today, this, this global faith that's practiced throughout the nations of the world, starting in such a small way and just a little place in the world, and what has happened since. Most of our days do start pretty ordinarily. You have your weird routines in the morning, and I do as well, and how and most of our days are lived out pretty ordinarily, without too many surprises along the way. In the scriptures, we have different people who started ordinarily, like Abraham, 75 years without a kid. And then God shows up and says, you're going to have a kid, and he's gonna, you're going to be the father of all the nations of the world. It was an incredible day for him that started ordinarily. It happened in the life of Moses, just taking care of sheep for 40 years in the Midian desert. And then God speaks to him through a burning bush. And he leads God's people, Moses leads God's people out of slavery. It happened to David, just a shepherd boy. And then Samuel shows up on a very ordinary day and anoints him and says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. A lot of things in our, the story of our lives, a lot of occasions start ordinarily, but God does extraordinary things. I remember watching that girl on campus. I thought, I'm going to take her out. And I asked her out, and she rejected me. I was crushed. But I asked a second time, and she said yes. And that changed the rest of the course of my life because Diana said yes to me. I stopped in college. I stopped to just say hi to my preacher when I was a senior and in college. And within a half an hour, he invited me to join the staff there, uh, the ministry staff. I was there 10 years, and it shaped the rest of the course of my uh, career just as a minister of the gospel. Things happen. They happen to you. The day you, you have that first date or you meet somebody online or you, you, uh, you get a positive pregnancy test or you go to the doctor and something happens to the doctor for good or for bad because you walk into that place. It happens. It happens on this particular day in, in the life of Philip and in, uh, in the uh, life of an Ethiopian who, who meets Philip and things are never the same. Here's our text, chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chair reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The, Philip, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and his lamb before the shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the, Philip, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch not to see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. For these three Sundays, we'll have three conversion stories that are that are preserved for us here we have a black african who meets jesus as and is converted 
Next week, we have a Jew who meets Jesus and is converted. And on the 17th, we have a European who meets Jesus and is converted. Three different, terribly different locales, but all of them confronted with the same message of salvation. In this particular account today, I want us to look at what is involved in the conversion process. These three elements are always involved. Cooperation, community, and comprehension. Cooperation, community, and comprehension. So let's start with cooperation. It's not difficult to see that the Holy Spirit is the one prompting all that's taking place here. It's his activity. There's divine direction. And we're going to see it in chapters 9 and 10. Here an angel says to Philip, I, I want you to go to that particular road. I want you to wait on this chariot. I want you to go to that chariot. Because God knew what was going on. The Holy Spirit is the one who always is guiding the encounters of our lives. Now Philip would never, would never go to this man on his own. It was the Holy Spirit who told him where he's supposed to go. Now, such cooperation is based on two things. First of all, obedience to Christ's command. We know the Great Commission, we've been over many times before. Jesus said before he ascended to heaven, go, it's a participle in the language, Greek language, as you're going, make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. The word nations there is ethnicities, that is all kinds of people groups. It doesn't matter what, the, what, what, what person it is. The gospel is for that person. And as, as you do that, uh, as you do that, I'm going to help you and know, to tell you what to do. God is always prodding. He's always prompting. The Holy Spirit job, it, one of his jobs, is convicting the world of sin. And he prompts us to engage people in spiritual conversation. Here, he's prompting Philip to speak to a black African. He's going to prompt Peter to talk to a Gentile, a non-Jew. He's going to prompt Paul to turn around and go back the other way to Greece. He's going to prompt Ananias to go speak to a scary guy in Damascus. Over and over again, he's prodding us to speak with people who are even sometimes like us, sometimes terribly unlike us. But I want you to know, this is about developing a, it's not just obeying the Great Commission. It's about developing a mindset and a heartbeat to make disciples, that we get to the place in our lives where we were always sensitive to the people God is allowing to cross our paths. And we're always praying continually, God, show me, show me who to build a relationship. Show me who to talk to. Show me who I should have coffee with. Help me understand who is ripe for a spiritual discussion. Open my eyes to all this. The second piece of the cooperation then is being sensitive to the spirit of God. Neither Philip nor the Ethiopian are orchestrating this conversation. The Holy Spirit is behind it. No other force could produce this. The Holy Spirit's on the move. Here, here the Spirit is saying to Philip, I want you to run to that sexually altered black African, even though you are a middle-aged Jewish man who would not have anything to do under normal circumstances with a person like this. And Philip, God wants barriers to fall. Political barriers, racial barriers, economic barriers, vocational barriers, intellectual barriers. The gospel, the gospel tears down barriers. And there should be no one in your life that you look at and hold with disdain. 
That is not appropriate for the person who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You got any barriers? You make sure they are torn down. So the first thing is we have to learn to move in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. He's already in front of us. He's already on the move preparing people just as he had prepared this man from Ethiopia. Second of all, there is community. Now this Ethiopian asks three questions. And questions one and three give us the context for all conversions. First of all, he asks, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? So when Philip runs up to the chariot, he hears the eunuch reading out loud. Maybe he needs help focusing. I do that sometimes. And, and he said, do you need help? How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? He said. Now that's startling based on who he is. Note who this guy is. First of all, he's a CFO. The text tells us that he is in this job of finance, over finance of the queen of Ethiopia named Candace. And so based upon that, he's at the top, I would say, of his profession. He's arrived. He's there. He's powerful. Second of all, he can read. He's reading Isaiah the prophet. That means uh, uh, he's a rare man and that he, he could read. It's a low literacy rate at this time in the world in the first century. Few people read. Um, he's he, he therefore educated. He's intellectual. He's sophisticated in his thinking. He's a, he's a learned man. He's influential. Third, he owned a scroll. That was a rare thing. People didn't own their own scrolls. They were kept in the synagogues. They, kept, they were kept in the temple or schools of learning. They were expensive. They were hand copied. So people didn't have their own. But this man did because he had the resources and the connections to get one. So Philip has asked, do you understand? And the interesting thing to me, based on, on this man who is at the top of his career, he's powerful, influential, wealthy. He's a self-made man. It's, even though that's all true, when Philip says to him, uh, do you need help understanding that? He didn't say, nah, I got it. Or he wasn't thinking, ah, I'm bright enough. I can figure this out on my own. You don't even have your own chariot for crying out loud. Why should I pay attention to you? There was, there was, no, there was no sense of I can do this by myself. I don't need help. You see, all of us need people. We need someone to get us to Jesus. And we need just someone to help us stay in Jesus. Because God's, God's movement has always been about community. Always. And in this fractured culture where we are afraid of being transparent and vulnerable because of our scars and our brokenness and our wounds, it is so easy to stay isolated from one another. The context of conversion is always community. Get that deep down within yourself. When, 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 when this eunuch asked Philip to step in the chariot, he is making himself vulnerable. He is admitting his ignorance, his inability spiritually to get the answers that he's craving to get. One of the weaknesses of large churches like ours is anonymity. It is so easy to sit in here, not want anybody to talk to you, not really want to get next to anybody else and leave and go home and thinking that's okay. 
That is not okay, only because all of us are limited without other people in our lives to love us as we are with all our wounds, all our scars, all our brokenness. Now, all that is not to be known by everybody, but all of us need somebody that understands that and walks with us and loves us through that. We make each each other better. And I hope you will continue to challenge yourself if you tend to be an isolated person that you, who says, I'm fine alone. You are not fine alone. And let the scripture teach you that over and over again. See, rarely do we find, do, do we find in, a metro, in a metro area like ours, It's hard to find people willing to admit their ignorance or their need or even their emptiness. Many people in a metropolitan area are on their way ascending the ladder. And while you're on on your way to the top, it's hard to recognize and admit emptiness and need. Because you're always thinking, when I get to the top, it's all going to be okay. And it never is. And so that's why people aren't searching as, as diligently sometimes because they're always hoping that the next promotion, the next job, the next place they live, that's really going to answer all their empties. It doesn't happen. Now, here's the, that's the front end of the, of, the, of the conversation. The back end is when the eunuch asks, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? He doesn't say, Philip, okay, I'm ready. Baptize me. No, he says, is there any reason why not? What is he say? What is happening there? He's asking Philip to evaluate him. What do you think, Philip? We've talked now. Now, we don't know if he's talked for an hour, uh, half an hour, or eight hours. But he says, what do you think, Philip? That's the power of community as well. When we're in community together, there's always a kind of evaluation that goes on because we're next to each other. We're listening to somebody else's life. We're thinking of our lives. We're talking through that. We need other people a little bit ahead of us in the journey, and we need people a little behind us in the journey. So we're always encouraging others, and we're always gaining encouragement from the other people who have already been where we walked. Philip here is the one who understands, and he says, you know, what do you think, Philip? See, all this undoes the notion that Christianity is a private faith. It is not a private faith. It is very public. We live out our faith, and we live it in community as well. So what do you think? He's looking for affirmation in his decision. That's the power of community. Now, third, we have comprehension. So we've got cooperation with the Spirit of God. We develop this heartbeat that we're noticing people God is putting in our path to build a relationship with, to welcome into our homes, to go out to coffee with, to somehow build a friendship enough so we can have the the conversations that mean the most. That's where the community comes in as well. Now, notice in this understanding, notice again about this man. He's successful. We've established that. He's a successful man. Second of all, he's paid a price to be in this position. The Greek word for eunuch in the Mediterranean world is the same word for a high court official or prime minister. And that period of time and that part of the world, uh, male attendants to, uh, to, to, to women who are either in positions or are wives of those in positions submitted to castration. Now, that shouldn't be so shocking to us in our culture necessarily because I've known some people who have sacrificed their families to get to the top. And this man has done the same thing. The third thing is he's spiritually 
empty, searching. He's from Ethiopia. And to a Jew in that time and place, that's the ends of the earth. It's a segue, and we won't really get to their chapter 13 on Easter Sunday. But remember Acts 1.8 said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's Acts 8, and to the ends of the earth. And this is the beginning of the ends of the earth. This man has been to Jerusalem to worship. Imagine his anticipation. He's intrigued by God, the God of Israel. And so he makes this arduous journey, the temple, and he walks in. And what does he find in the temple? There's a sign there that says, no eunuchs allowed. And he must be devastated. It's true. Eunuchs were not allowed in the temple. And so he's on his way back from Jerusalem, and he's confused. So he's successful. He's paid a price to get there. He's spiritually empty, and he's confused. And imagine his turmoil. He's got this scroll. Now, there are no chapter divisions. There are no verses at this time. But he's in, we know he's in the 50s that we know of, the, the chapters of the 50s that, that we know about that way. He would have probably also scanned the scripture in chapter 56 that read this way. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. That's in Isaiah 56. And let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuch who holds fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple in its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Descendants? You, I can have an everlasting name? Well, what is this all about? You mean I don't have to feel like a dead tree? And then he would have read out of Isaiah 53, the area he's reading now. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God and smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds were healed. And here's the passage he was reading when Philip ran up. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, a lamb before the shear is silent. He didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. But who can speak of his descendants? What? This man who laid his life down, who died, and he's got all these descendants? What, what's, who's this man speaking? Do you understand? Who's, who, well, who's he talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip gets to tell him the good news about Jesus. Sin is us substituting God's place and salvation is God substituting for our place. What a message of hope. This was just an ordinary day, but God did something extraordinary that day. Today, there are over 680 million Followers of Jesus on the continent of Africa. Just 19 years ago in 2000, there were only 300 and 
340 million. We've doubled almost in that time period on the continent of Africa. But 100 years earlier, in 1900, there were only 9 million believers on the continent of Africa. And guess where most of them were? Ethiopia. Do you believe God can lead you to a conversation that could change the whole direction of a family that's filled with addiction and dysfunction and hopelessness and disorder and conflict? Do you believe that a conversation you have this week could lead to a changed classroom or a frat house or a sorority? Do you believe it could change your neighborhood? I do. And one of the ways that you know you're converted is that you can be like this man in our text, just like a, a middle-aged Jewish man who's willing to put his arm around a sexually altered black African and talk to him about Jesus, baptize him, and call him my brother. Are you willing to do that for Jesus? If you're not in Christ, here's water. Why shouldn't you be baptized? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're ordinary people doing ordinary things day in and day out. But I pray, Father, we will walk in step with the Spirit and we will lay ourselves down before you every day, saying, here I am, use me. Open our eyes that we may see and engage and welcome and embrace and converse and love people to Jesus. In him we pray.